How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to the Norwood Noise. This is the first weekend recap of March Madness. It is Monday, March 24, 21st. Whoa. Monday, March 21st, and we are recapping the first weekend of March Madness for you here. Myself, Evan Schubel, alongside Graham Griffith of Hailing from the beautiful Columbus, Ohio. Graham, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Um, you know, after first weekend, you had some good storylines and a lot of talked about, so we're going to dive right in, giving you a quick recap of every game that's happened thus far. Um, and Evan's going to take away with uh, Michigan and Colorado State. All right, we'll get right after it. Michigan, Colorado State. I think Michigan completed probably the most, I don't want to say expected, but um, most unsurprising, we'll leave it at that, um, upset of the first weekend. Michigan beating Colorado State. Um, Mountain West, a tough showing in weekend one. We won't get too far into it as we move on down the stretch, but um, Mountain West was 0-4 uh, in the first round, so tough scene for the Mountain West. Everyone kind of been hyping it up that they were going to be you know, a very dominant conference this year, um, but not so, uh, at least so far. So Michigan actually favored. Uh, they were favored in this game early, um, and then uh, Michigan being without... Um, their starting point guard uh, kind of swayed it a little bit, um, but then they ended up locking it up uh, and ended as a finishing as a uh, Michigan minus two, favored by two points there, right as it uh, ended. Anyways, point being though, uh, Michigan did take care of business, winning uh, 75 to 63 over the Rams. Hunter Dickinson with 21 leading the way. No surprises there, and uh, good to see Michigan getting rolling again, obviously, as we saw further into the weekend. We'll get into that later, but. A good opening performance from the Wolverines. Uh, moving on, South Coast State and Jackrabbits met Pro- uh, Providence. Um, it was actually pretty funny. Providence's you know fan section behind you know the bench was in full green attire. Well, it was it was St. Patty's Day to St. be fair. Patty's Day not slash. had nothing to do with the luck that Providence <laughs> has had all season or anything like that. It was completely the fact that it was St. Patty's Day. Um, um, but. They Providence really set the tone early, and I feel like Ed Cooley has been telling those guys that you know they've earned their spot to be one of the best teams in the country, you know, based on their wins and taking care of business. And no one really sees them like that. Um, and every single time that you know people have doubted them, said maybe they aren't legit, they just go in and prove themselves every single time. Um, they you know really set the tone early on. South Coast State. Uh, had a very good second half. It uh, just wasn't quite enough. Um, Providence ended up winning by nine. Um, pretty telling, you know, that even an explosive team like South Dakota State, who a lot of people picked as their early round upset, a Providence still found a way to take care of business and move on. Absolutely. We'll continue rolling along. Memphis and Boise State. Memphis taking care of business there for... Um, again, another tough performance for the Mountain West, but 64-53, Memphis moves on with a good victory. Um, and then a couple other not very noteworthy games, um, Baylor and Norfolk State, uh, 85-49, Baylor pulling away early and often in that one, Tennessee same way against Longwood, um, outscoring them 54-29 to in the first half, winning 88-56, to a couple of expected wins there. Yeah, um, the next one we had was... Uh, Probably one of the most unexpected oh, yeah, upsets the in the Iowa, first round. Iowa Richmond, um, that was like one of the you know few five twelves this year that like it was almost consensus that no one was going to Richmond. It was probably the last one that I would have picked if yeah. I'm being honest. Um, you know this Richmond team was hot and you know upset multiple teams in their conference tournament to get there. Um, a bubble team in Dayton, and then obviously a tournament team in Davidson. You know, they earned their spot to get here, but I still was not expecting them to handle Iowa. Um, this might be time to panic, I mean, as an Iowa Hawkeye. Um, yeah. Iowa State, last three coaches have all made the Sweet 16, and Iowa's last three coaches have not made the Sweet 16. Um, Dating back to, what, 1964? I mean, McCaffrey, yeah. McCaffrey's been there for about 40 years now, it feels yeah. like. So, um, so but Iowa, yeah, Iowa has not been able to, you know... Uh, produce results, even with the star studded. I mean, I feel like this is exact like cases last year. Mm-hmm. 
years before that, you know, where they have a very talented team led by a main guy and just kind of implode once you get to the tournament. But good on the Spiders. I mean, they're very, like, I feel like if they had a better regular season, it would have been, like, one of the most appealing upsets to pick. You know, they're very senior-laden, you know, um, you know, disciplined, ton of experience and well-coached. And, you know, they met the criteria of being a very good upset this year. And I'm not surprised, but I was expecting Iowa um, to have a little bit of a better game going into the day. Yeah, absolutely. 67-63, that game finished up with the Spiders on top, crawling into the second round. I've been waiting all week to make that joke. Um, <laughs> uh, I will, And I will also note... Um, as someone that likes to think of myself as a pretty solid upset picker, pretty solid, you know, college basketball no guy. Um, I was 0-4 on 5-12s this year. I had UConn over New Mexico State, which we'll get to in just a minute. I had Iowa over Richmond, and then I had UAB over Houston. That didn't pan out. And I had um, I had Indiana over St. Mary's. And none of those hit, so I was 0-4 on 5-12s. <laughs> I was looking at the wrong ones, apparently. Anyways, moving past that, uh, Gonzaga had a little trouble with Georgia State there early. It was about halfway through the second half before they pulled away, winning 93-72. North Carolina blew the doors off Marquette. Um, Shaka Smart has continued to, ever since that VCU run, has not really been able to get it done in the tournament. Um, so interesting storyline there. I don't think there were huge expectations necessarily um, for Marquette here this year in this tournament. He still has some time to get his guys in his program that he really wants, um, but definitely worth noting. Um, that just not a great performance there um, from the Golden Eagles, and obviously really solid for North Carolina. Rolling into obviously we'll get into it later, but a great um, game thereafter. So, and then I would say one again right up there with Richmond, Iowa, another twelve five that I by no means expected. Um, New, New Mexico State over Connecticut, uh, beating the Yukon Huskies seventy to sixty three in a really solid game. Um, Teddy Allen leading the way for New Mexico State. That dude was nails. He was so fun to watch. That game was so fun to watch. Um, I will fully admit that I was on my feet for that one. Um, Teddy Allen, 37 points, 13 of 13 from the free throw line. He went 6 for 6 in the last minute of the game. I mean, it was awesome. Watching him really, really throw down um, and get after it, you know, flexing on the, on the you know, in front of the crowd a little bit. Um, I enjoyed it. I also appreciated, we'll get into the officiating later and how it hasn't been great um, in this first round, but I will say, or this first weekend, but I will say the officials handled that situation incredibly well. There were multiple times where, not multiple, there was, there was once or twice where Teddy Allen was, you know, chatting a little, chatting it up a little bit with RJ Cole and some of the UConn guys and, you know, probably being uh, fairly, not fairly, but somewhat disrespectful to the, that team and a, and a solid team in UConn and the referees, you know, when they got into the free throw line, they came over, talked to him, said, "Hey, you know, keep it under control, calm down, you know, that, those kinds of things." So, I do think they did a very good job managing that. Um, but yeah, Teddy Allen was the only um, the only Aggie in double figures on uh, on that Thursday uh, evening uh, with thirty seven. No one else above ten. Um, and yeah, I, personally shocking to me. Um, I definitely thought these uh, these Huskies had a little more in them, uh, but apparently not. And the Aggies uh, take care of it. Now I'll turn it over to Graham for what was definitely the most shocking game of the first round. Yeah, uh, I'm still kind of blown away about the fact that St. Peter's... The Peacocks! The Peacocks. Hashtag strut up. Yes, yeah, strut. I did see this. Hashtag strut up. That um, was a great... That was a great... Taking down um, a consensus Elite Eight Final Four, some cha- sometimes champion... They don't look at me. Uh... <laughs> uh yeah, you know, with Kentucky, with the, the star power they have, the name that they have is quite unbelievable. St. Peter's was able to, you know, go in and really just, you know, prove themselves and have just an unbelievable game. Every day I see something new, like, about, like, comparing them to, like, the rest of the tournament teams. Like, their third assistant coach is a is, volunteer. Yeah, he's not a salary position. I was just, That was my go-to stat. That was unbelievable seeing that and hearing that. It, it's so crazy. And Kentucky spends, like, 13 and a half more. 13 and a half, it's, it's $13.5 per $1 that St. Peter yeah. spends on their team. Yeah, it's, it's absurd. And that would be, like, the largest, like, difference. Yes, it was in- even, like, UMBC... Uh, Virginia was only five to one. Like yeah. that, this was the largest largest spending difference in history of an upset in the NCAA tournament. 
Yeah, it was it was really, really fun uh, to watch St. Peter's, you know, have like that small school swagger that like these five star players on Kentucky can, you know, do like the craziest move and, you know, score or whatever, try to think that they're getting some life. And you got a dude named Doug <laughs> just like hitting a three and, you know, getting the crowd involved. I really like this game. I'm pulling for the Peacocks. Um, just because, I mean, how good of a story is it that one of the smallest schools in Division One goes in and defeats one of like the biggest powerhouses like of all time? Right, and, and that's the thing too. And I'm not, and this is no disrespect to the Virginia program or anything like that. They are obviously a very storied, very historic, very proud program. Not, not again, nothing against Virginia, but to for a team of this caliber to go and be, and the same thing with like Ohio State last year. Again, nothing against their basketball program, but they're a football first school. We all know mm-hmm. that. To go and beat not only a two seed, but a blue blood like Kentucky that at the time was leading NCAA Division One in most wins all time, now tied with the University of Kansas Jayhawks, worth noting. Um, but it, it really is unbelievable just to see a team like that have that kind of swagger and go knock off the Wildcats. Awesome game. Oscar Shibway, of course, leading the way, 30-16 and 16 for uh, UK, but just not enough. This game was tied at halftime, 37 apiece, and then 34 apiece as well in the second half to send it to overtime. I will say we've had seven overtime games so far in this tournament, Graham. It's been awesome. I loved every second of it. Mm-hmm. And that is one away from tying the all-time record NCAA tournament in a single NCAA tournament at eight games. So I would hope that with, you know, was it 15 games left on the mm-hmm. schedule, we could at least get, you know, two more of those to break that record. Um, but definitely on a good pace uh, to, to, you know, at least to start after that first weekend. So anyways, moving on from the Peacocks to move into another uh, fighting ferocious bird that had a great overtime performance over on Thursday evening. Um, the Creighton Blue Jays, an overtime win, 72-69 over what was a favored and, and kind of a, you know, what a lot of people thought was going to be a pretty easy to pick 8-9 game. Um, San Diego State was a you know obviously top one top two in the country in almost every defensive category um so yeah Creighton was a little bit signed off or a little bit written off but uh they took care of business and played really well down the stretch um rallying around the unfortunate injury of uh Ryan Kalkbrenner um really tough to see him go down he was in you know what seemed to be quite a lot of pain um but injury positive or injury news is positive um for him it sounds like he may not have to get surgery um, might just be uh, a little PCL issue, and he might actually be all right. So of the of the ACL, MCL, and PCL, PCL is usually traditionally the, if you can say best, best one to uh, mm-hmm. to injure. So good good to hear that, um, and good to hear that he will be back next year. St. Mary's uh, again back to the five twelves, taking care of Indiana, um, Arkansas over Vermont. That was a popular upset pick. Vermont even outscored the Razorbacks forty four to forty one in the second half. But I will say the only SEC coach left. Um, in the in the tournament is the dude that took his shirt off with a cast still on um, after a court storming. So I just want that to be noted. Um, must bus. Must bus. I mean seriously, this Arkansas team. It's hard to not be a fan of them. Um, I personally am not a huge fan of Arkansas as a whole, or you know the whole stigma around you know Woo Pig and all that that whole bit. The whole Bud Walton's the best arena. I I'm not down with any of that. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to not be a fan of Eric Musselman and the team and the, and the effort that they put forth when they're on the floor. Um, it's really it's really fun to watch. So good on Arkansas. Uh, good on silencing the haters and the people who thought Vermont was going to be an easy upset pick because uh, they took care of business. UCLA, um, sneaky against Akron. I, I'm not going to lie. This was one that I did not have on my radar. I had UCLA comfortably winning. Uh, it was close down the stretch, but Bruins took care of business. Mick Cronin getting his team uh, to another Sweet 16, as we'll get into later. Uh, but they moved on well over Akron there. Kansas rolling Texas Southern up 47-19 at halftime. Uh, this Kansas team is starting to look really good. And then the night, the essential nightcap was the game, I would say the game of the first round, maybe not the game of the first weekend, but I would say the game of the first round. Murray State-San Francisco was awesome. 92-87, the racers ended up, just beating out, uh, leaning at the line, if you may, um, beating the Dons, ninety-two to eighty-seven. Graham, your takes on this one? Uh, 
I thought it was you know pretty interesting about how I felt like a lot of like the players were gonna leave a lot on the court. I mean, with both coaches, you know, and clear rumors of leaving, and um, it was a really competitive, hard fought game for both teams. Um, you know, like San Francisco was at, up by one and a half, but Murray State, you know, outscored them by one in the second half, and rather even. Um, Overtime until you know, like the late game fouls and stuff. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this game. Um, I thought Jordan Skipper Brown was, you know, a, a fresh light. I thought Murray State, you know, got a lot, a lot of good points off the bench. Um, and I think KJ Williams and Tevin Brown are unbelievable. Um, Things that they had to run into the Peacocks, as we'll talk about later. <laughs> I really like this Murray State team. I did too. Um, but. I thought it was a really good game. And Overall. I would agree with you. It was one of the best games of the first round. Jean-Marie Bouillet really headlined that evening. Uh, 36 points for San Francisco and some ridiculous threes down the stretch. So just fun to watch it. And hearing the crowd roars and all that, um, just really, it, it it made me happy. It reminded me of, you know, what was a couple of years ago. And, and, you know, nothing against March Madness last year, but this is the first year with it back full in person in crowds. And I will say, like, even one of my favorite ones, too, was, Yesterday evening, the um, the Arizona TCU nightcap, that crowd was going bananas. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a really enjoyable one there. So, anyways, all right. To get into Friday, a couple results. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. The Friday early window was really not that fun. I kind of was trying to tell myself it was gonna be good, trying to get interested in a lot of the games, and nothing was really clicking. Um, Ohio State rolled Loyola Chicago. They were they held them at a comfortable distance all game. 54-41. Auburn beat Jacksonville State 80-61 comfortably. Texas Tech rolled Montana State 97-62. Purdue taking care of Yale uh, 78-56. Villanova. Delaware was hanging around a little bit there. Um, first half, late second half. Um, but 80-60 to was the final there as Villanova really started to put it away. But then the evening slot started to get really interesting. So we had uh, Miami beating USC 68-66 in a phenomenal game. Um, USC was down 11 at half, outscored Miami by nine in the second, but it just wasn't enough. Um, Notre Dame took care of business there against Alabama. Um, upset win there for the Irish, a team that most people didn't even pick to get out of the first four um, with how hot Rutgers had been and everything. Um, but they take down Alabama. And again, like we said, Alabama was going to be an inconsistent team and one that you're probably going to pick wrong in your bracket one way or another. So. Um, good on the Irish, though, for getting that one done. Texas uh, sneaking past Virginia Tech, 81-73. Illinois just sneaking past the Mox of Chattanooga, 54-53. Duke taking care of Cal State Fullerton, and Arizona taking care of Wright State. That was kind of the early evening session. Graham takes on any of those. Um, I was really impressed with Ohio State. I you know I didn't really trust you know their like, defensive ability and anything. And, I mean... They were locked down. Loyola Chicago didn't really seem to get anything that they wanted. Um, I was impressed with them. It's also very impressed. I know it's Montana State, but Texas Tech looked really good yes, in game one. Um, really opened up my eyes. Um, you know, Purdue handled Bill's business. Villanova handled business. Um, I was upset, uh, a little surprised to see you know Miami sneaking out of there. Um, Jim Laranega, dude, that guy. It- He's he he's just he is the most never say die coach ever. I mean, he is like, you know, they might sneak into the tournament here, have a little run here, like, mm-hmm. and they are a fun team to watch, man. I, I've really enjoyed this Hurricanes team. Um, as much as like, <clears throat> in our last pod, I was hating on this matchup. I was glued to the screen for this one. Like, I will fully admit, I originally was like hating on it. Two big state schools, uninspired matchup, blah 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 blah. No, they were both down and into it. And Jim Laranega was where most of my focus was. Yeah. Um, moving on to um, Notre Dame Alabama game. I think that Alabama still could have won this game. A little bit of an asterisk game, if you ask me. That um, Javon Quarterly, you know, actually yeah, did get hurt. But still, a pretty poor night um, for uh, Shackelford. I mean, he is kind of like one of like their main guys on when it comes to, you know, that Alabama trend of what team are we getting. 
And when he's playing like that, I mean, it's very hard for you to win games. You know, he's four for 17, two for 10. Um, and I was hoping that this Alabama team could be one of the more exciting teams in the tournament, like scoring in the 80s. And But uh, obviously that isn't the case, and the Irish took care of them pretty handily. Um, moving on, Texas-Virginia Tech. I had no idea who was going to come out of that game. No, I didn't either. That was I mean, just, Virginia Tech yeah. is hot. Texas is probably more talented. It's had a better season, but they don't really have like that cohesion that's important when it comes to tournament time. But I guess it did not matter because Texas took care of them. Um, Illinois-Chattanooga. I wanted to hear your thoughts about Illinois because I've seen a lot of stuff calling that Underwood... Um, his job should not be that secure. Yeah. Um, with his persistence on playing a very um, like set-oriented style of play, not a lot of early shots, unless it's for Kofi. Um, Cabell is like one of their best players. He's coming off the bench. I, I just feel like there's a lot going on that um, I'm more surprised that no one's really talking about that Illinois is underperforming. Um, yeah. With the teams that they've had. No, absolutely. I think. I mean, I will. Always, I will always die on the hill if Illinois got screwed last year. I mean, having played Loyola Chicago in the second round was never a good draw for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yet I still had them win the national title last year, and here I am again. I picked Illinois to the final four, and you know we'll get to it later. But they do lose in the second round, so I, it's one of those things where I, I agree. I think Brad Underwood's job is. I think it's safe for Illinois standards because Illinois, if we're being honest, hasn't had the most storied program. They've had very good teams and they've had a good, right. you know, they've been a, they've been kind of a good stepping stone for a lot of really really top tier coaches. Um, and that's no offense to Brad Underwood or the Illinois program or anything like that. Um, but we've seen quite a few coaches kind of go to that next level after Illinois. And in route to that, having very good teams, but there's never been a lot of cohesion or consistency because there are there are years where illinois is just completely irrelevant Mm -hmm. and they're near the bottom of the big 10 and whatever but as of recent they've started to become more of this power and i think the reason that a lot of people see underwood's job is so safe is simply because he has been the one to be a part of that program that has become more consistent Mm -hmm. now that is consistent in big 10 play it is clearly not consistent in ncaa tournament play um so i completely agree with you i think that it's definitely something worth noting the whole Andre Corbello thing is, is really interesting to me because I agree. I think he's one of their best players by far. Um, and the fact that he's coming off the bench and there's large debates about whether he should even be seeing the floor or not. Um, we'll get to the Houston game later. But, yeah, he just has not had great performances um, down the stretch in big clutch games, um, you know, in, in any of his years. So I'll be interested to see um, kind of what next year comes for him. Um but yeah, I mean that's 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 about what I have to say about Illinois. Is I think a big reason why he's seen as so safe is because he has been the consistent, um, you know, the common denominator for uh, consistently solid Illinois basketball. But I agree with you. You know, we have to see how that um, continues and notice that he has not been performing yeah. when it really matters. So Cabello could be one of those transfer portal guys this year. Completely, I could completely see that. The fact that he's not getting minutes, I am sure, frustrates him, knowing the. Um, attitude that he has uh, toward the game and, and the passion that he has that he plays with. Um, completely agree with you, so we'll definitely have to keep an eye out on that. Um, again, like we said earlier, Duke rolling, uh, Cal State Fullerton taking care of business there, and then Arizona taking care of business against Wright State. Um, the The evening window did not disappoint. Um, LSU-Iowa State was a great game. Um, it was kind of hard to watch, uh, for being honest. Um but it ended up being a great fight down the end, and Iowa State taking care of, taking care of it. I I am I was glad to see the Cyclones win. I think they hadn't won a very like a really high profile. They hadn't had a high profile win, you know, since December ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was good to see them and T.J. Ockelberger really kind of get back into their flow against someone that isn't you know a a brash, rough Big Twelve team that's gonna you know, you know play Big 12-style basketball that's that's really difficult to play against. Um, I think this Iowa State team is very good, and obviously we've seen that as they've now run into the Sweet 16. We'll get to that later, though. Houston UAB. Um, Houston, again, rolled by Blazers that I thought were going to keep it close with them, but 82-68. Um, TCU absolutely destroyed Seton Hall, 69-42. Um, 
Again, we'll do a coaching Carol episode after the tournament's over. Really interesting to see, though, that a guy that's never made out of the second weekend just got a $4.4 million contract at Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Willard has left Seton Hall. Um, on, not, on a not-so-great note, after a 27-point loss to TCU in the first round. And then Wisconsin just sneaking past the fighting toothpaste in Colgate, 67-60. Um, definitely one I enjoyed watching. Um, and, yeah, a good performance from Johnny Davis and, and Wisconsin as a whole. They looked like a real team uh, in that game, getting that win. And then, Graham, I'll let you take the floor with Davidson and Michigan State. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Were you not ready for that one? I, yeah, because it's at the top of my screen, so that I'm my favorite. Oh, so okay. I already checked out of it. Yeah. Um, I just continued to move fast that one. Yeah. I, I was very happy with, you know, Davidson's effort and execution of the game. And I even turned, you know, to a few of my friends and said that if, you know, Michigan State's going to come back, it's going to be, you know, the second chance opportunities and transition. That's exactly what happened. Um, you know, Michigan State's, you know, athleticism and, you know, length really proved to work in their benefit, you know, when the legs start to get tired towards the end of the game. And, you know, I'm not going to be one you know, to talk about it, and we could talk about this a little bit later when we talk about officiating, but I felt like there was a few calls that definitely went in Michigan State's favor. I mean, all we can do is look at the numbers, and there were five whistles against Davidson in the final minute of the game and zero against Michigan State. Yeah. I mean, that, that those are simple numbers that are, are, are tough, yeah. we'll say. Um, I don't think that that's the reason Davidson lost the game for that Michigan State, you know, deserved that comeback, but it's a little bit frustrating when you think about what if that didn't happen. Right. Um, but that's all I gotta say. We're gonna move on to Saturday in the second round, and one it of, opened with a bang. Yeah, I mean, I it, it, one of my favorite games so far. Totally, um, North Carolina ninety three eighty six. They were up huge. Um, I let me see if we can get a uh, let's see if we can get play by play. What what were they up by at one point? Um, let's see. Here. At one point, Michigan State was up by. Oh, sorry, that's just first half. Second half, or Michigan State, oh my goodness, North Carolina. Um, North Carolina was up as much as 62 to 38 was the largest margin. And then uh, at the 10.08 mark, yes, they were up 67-42. They were up 62-38 at one point. 67-42 when Brady Manick, a flagrant two with 10 minutes to go, gets kicked out of the game in a controversial manner. We'll get to that later. We'll talk about it later. We'll get to the official end of there. But Brady Mann gets ejected, and the Bears came storming back. And I mean storming back. Mm-hmm. Really fun to watch that comeback. Um, as much as I was rooting against uh, Baylor, of course, being a Big 12 fan and not being the hu- the biggest fan of the Bears. Um, definitely, you know, it just just fun a fun game to watch, to say the least. And then North Carolina really showing some teeth and handling the Bears in overtime. I was shocked. I thought... Once they got to overtime and Baylor had come back from however many down, I was like, "Oh, that's it! Like Baylor's gonna, mm-hmm. you know, Baylor's gonna roll through overtime here." Uh, but no, uh, you know, North Carolina and Leaky Black really, you know, bowed up and and played a great a great game down the stretch there to take care of business and and win it for the Tar Heels. Alrighty, so moving swiftly onward, the next game of the afternoon, Kansas versus Creighton, 79-72, Kansas took care of business. I, again, one of those ones where I, I think there was some chatter around some Kansas fans, you know, on Twitter that I saw and, and across the message boards, things like that, where people were upset with the effort from the Jayhawks or, oh, you know, that, that wasn't as definitive of a win as it should have been or whatever. And I just don't appreciate that commentary because... You know, watch like, did you not just watch the game before and see what happened? Like, come mm-hmm. on, like after the like, really for the one and and really, I mean, obviously any game in the tournament, you know, anything can happen. But especially after that first round, you're playing a really really quality team. I mean, Creighton was in the base championship less than a week ago, right? Or, or I think it was a week ago on the day. Like, this is a great Creighton basketball team, and even without their big man. Um, they still had some really top-tier performers. Uh, definitely worth noting, Arthur Kaluma. This dude is going to be legit here in a couple of years. A freshman there for Creighton. He had 24-12. and 12. He was, I mean, 
he was a matchup problem. Kansas could not figure out who to put on. They had Jalen Wilson on him, and Jalen had three, and then they had McCormick on him at the beginning of the game, and then McCormick couldn't step out and guard him at the three-point line. And I mean, there were so many issues, um, and really crazy to see that. And 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 good on good on the Blue Jays. Great effort um, from them. They looked they looked really solid. They had me really worried there a couple times. But again, Kansas was very resilient, and I think that was awesome to see from the Jayhawks. They really showed up. Um, and took care of business when it mattered and executed when it mattered. Um, Remy Martin was probably the story of the first weekend for the Kansas Jayhawks. Um, he's averaged it, he's averaged 17 and a half in the postseason um, and averaging, he's averaging 60% from the field. Dude's been feeling it. Um, it's good to hear after a lot of uncertainty most of the season. Totally. And, and you know, personally, I'm not the biggest Remy Martin fan. Like, I will completely admit to that. Um, Especially with his with his preseason act, I love that he is getting more confidence behind him. I think it might be almost a little too much confidence. I'm interested to see how that gets tampered um, with throughout the uh, you know throughout the rest of the postseason, and you know hopefully a couple more weekends of basketball for the Jayhawks. But um, again, I, I'm interested to see how that continues for him. Um, but definitely a huge boost of confidence that's much needed, especially when Ochai is you know getting face guarded for 40 minutes. So. Um, but yeah, great performance there from the Jayhawks. Michigan putting together, I would say, probably one of the most shocking performances I've seen. Um, Michigan obviously was a preseason top five team. You know, they had all the likings and pieces of a top team, um, but hadn't really performed, obviously. Um, and I don't know. I mean, Graham, you, you tell me what you think, but I, I Tennessee to me was one of the hottest teams coming into this tournament, and I know, obviously, Hot teams can go usually one way or another um, coming into the tournament, but I was I was surprised as to how well Michigan handled them in the second half. I mean, they were down five, thirty-seven, thirty-two at half, and then really just put them away down the stretch. So yeah, I've been very shocked with this Michigan team's success in the past two games. Um, like I don't think that Tennessee played a bad game. I think Michigan just you know came in there, handled business, and. Um, you know, played how like we were expecting them to play at the start of the season. Um, I I really don't know you know what's next for this Michigan team. You know, um, now they have to go in play Villanova, and you know that like that's in my mind. You know, it seems like an easy pick. You know, to go with Villanova, but this Michigan team is uh, was on upset alert round one, especially after their point guard was down. And then no one was expecting them to beat Tennessee. Now they're going in. Uh, they're exciting. It's, it's an exciting storyline, you know, after all, like, their the turmoil and the Jawan Howard stuff in the Wisconsin game. It's definitely a breath of fresh air, you know, to see them performing how they should have been. And now that's five straight Sweet 16s for Michigan. I feel like that's completely gone under the radar. Yeah, I, I missed that stat, so that's awesome. Um... Moving on, Richmond Providence. This is just more telling example of what I've been saying that every time that a computer, <laughs> a fan, um, an a analyst, journalist, yeah, exactly, says anything uh, that tells you otherwise about Providence, they go in there and take care of business. They throttled yeah. Richmond. Noah Horkler leading the way with sixteen and fourteen, and that was an emphatic performance out of hand. Something that we haven't seen. Out of him since you know big mid Big East. Um, Providence was unbelievable this game. Uh, I'm very very interested to see this Kansas Providence game. Uh, like oh, I, I, oh yeah, completely. Like I am. Everyone's writing it off because I think the Kansas fans obviously don't pay a lot of attention to the Big East, and I think the the general consensus is oh you know the the numbers hate them you know a lot of the analysts hate them whatever. You know we should. In in theory, roll right, and I'm like, no, 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 no. This Providence team is very, very good, um, and they could cause a lot of matchup issues, I think. And I mean, again, if they're hot from behind the three point line, watch out because it could be it could be lights mm-hmm. out they for the Jayhawks. Guys that really just they're in their groove, like with Reeves and Durham and Horkler. Like if they are ever in their groove, they're a very difficult team to guard, especially when you have to give so much emphasis on Nate Watson down low. Yeah, absolutely. I really like this Providence team. I think they're poised for a great run. Um, just every time that you know you want to pick against them or you don't think that you know they take care of business. So I'm yeah. interested to see how they fare against a um, far more talented team than Richmond and. 
your Kansas Jayhawks. Absolutely. UCLA uh, taking care of business against St. Mary's. Really, really rolling uh, the Gales 72-56. That game was, I mean, it was, I don't want to say over from the jump, but it was, you know, it was a pretty emphatic performance out of the Bruins. St. Peter's continues to roll 70-60 to over the Murray State uh, Racers. Second consecutive NCAA tournament with 15 seed in the Sweet 16. It's awesome. I love it. This is it's phenomenal. Give it all to me. I hope they go roll the Boilermakers, even though they were my preseason pick to win the uh, win the whole thing. I would love to see it. I, I think it's awesome. I'm all in. I, it was hilarious. After It was about midway through day one when I realized that my bracket was completely ruined. And it was one of those things where it's like, you can do five hours of research on this stuff and... It, who knows you know yeah. like it's it's still just a crapshoot so um again i at that point i like realized you know whatever embrace it give me all the upsets and i have fully enjoyed this peacocks run and i hope it continues um arkansas put an end to the aggies the new mexico state aggies run in maybe the biggest pillow fight of the first weekend we saw oh <laughs> excuse me apologies um but yeah, 53-48 in a really low scoring 26 to 17 and a half um, game. Not super entertaining, but again, just like we were saying earlier, when you doubt Eric Musselman, he takes care of business. Um, so good win there and yeah. good on Arkansas I mean, for to, taking care of it. To add on, you know, um, Teddy Allen was just like not there. And then It's one of those things where it's like after you have that kind of performance first round, like it's really hard to back that up. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that New Mexico State was very inefficient uh, when it came to their offensive game plan. And then Arkansas was kind of just like trying to lose that game it almost felt like. Um, Arkansas's really just been playing, you know, like solid and that's how they get their wins. They're not really that much of an explosive team this year. Um but, you know, to segue into this Memphis-Gonzaga team where Gonzaga... You want to talk about explosive. Yeah, Gonzaga Whoa. gets hot. And they are unbeatable when they're hot. Um, you know, in both games, the Georgia State game and now the Memphis game, it's like someone just, like, you know, like, cranked up a dial. They, like, Gonzaga's really just, you know, flipping the switch. They've been very unbelievable in how hot and how efficient they can get. I think that this Gonzaga-Arkansas game is going to be... Like, this is, like, one of my hot takes for the Sweet 16. Like, it's going to be 20 or 30. I think the Gonzaga is just going to completely... Really? Okay. I I think that, you know, when you're such, like, a grit and grind, like, just solid team, and you're playing a team that's, like, trying to, you know, speed you up and, like, we're going to put points on the board, Mm -hmm. I don't think Arkansas is going to be able to keep up with that style of play. Yeah. Especially after kind of just, like, sneaking by both games. Yeah. No, absolutely. Gonzaga is... Again, I will continue to pick against them until they prove me wrong, but they're starting to look really, really good um, and completely agree with you on those takes there. Moving into Sunday, Sunday was, again, kind of a slow start. Houston rolling my, uh, once again, well-picked fighting Illini, 68-53. <laughs> um, tough to see them go down, but again, Kelvin Sampson, shirtless in the locker room. Come on, get, come on, you got to love it. Like You can't, you got to get on board with this guy. It was awesome. Um Villanova taking care of Ohio State, kind of keeping them at arm's length the whole time. 71-61 there for the Wildcats. And I would, I really wanted to say game of the, of the weekend, Duke-Michigan State was awesome. Like, it was everything you wanted. Two great coaches, two great teams, two great competitors. Kay getting emotional after the game was great. He was so proud of that team and the effort they put forth. He thought that was one of their best performances of the year. And I loved seeing that, you know, as... As much as I rag on Duke, as much as I'll rag on Kay, and that whole situation, it, it, it made me happy to see him so proud of his young team that he has. Um, especially after the North Carolina loss and the things that they've gone through over the past week, the loss in the ACC tournament, you know, some doubt that, oh, is this just too much for a young team playing with this high pressure of the last season and all that. It was just awesome to see. So happy for Duke, happy for Coach K, happy for um, that win there. Now, hopefully, not too many more. But uh, <laughs> again, good to, good to see that. Um, definitely the an, again another pillow fight. Iowa State Wisconsin was gross. Um, really hard to watch that one. Um, Iowa State the Cyclones just tearing through yeah, Madison. And now they're undefeated in non conference games this year. Iowa State is. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! I I missed I think that. It's like fifteen and zero now. That's unbelievable. 
That's unbelievable. Well, good on the Cyclones. CJ Ackerberg, again, getting this team really rolling at the right time. And I think Wisconsin kind of showing what a lot of people expected and not really being that fiery um, down the stretch, unfortunately, for him. Texas Tech was given a little bit of a problem by Notre Dame, and I was personally surprised. I thought Tech was going to roll. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do take care of business in the end. Um, a defensive bout, as it, as expected, with Mark Adams and the, and the defense never resting there. Um, but a good a good effort nonetheless from the from the Irish, and really to wrap up the evening, a couple great games I would say. Miami, I mean just unbelievable. I, I have no words. Like, I I still am kind of trying to comprehend that Miami has come out of this corner of the bracket and just rolled. Um, obviously a great game against USC, and they just took care of Auburn from the start. Really, I mean. A one-point lead at half. It was close one through the press first half. 46-29 to 29 they outscored him in the second half. I mean, Miami looked so, so good. 79-60 on a final, winning by 16. Um, it was awesome to watch. I, I enjoyed it. Um, Charlie Moore, Kansas transfer, had 15 um, for Miami. And, it, and, you know, that just so well done um, from Jim Laranega's group. Cameron McGusty, um for Miami, he had 20 um, and a great performance from him. And then Isaiah Wong uh, leading the way for uh, the Hurricanes with 21. I mean, just great to see all those guys having great performances and shutting down a what was expected to be a really good Auburn team. I think a lot of guys, you know, a lot of people thought that this was going to be a really good Auburn team. And they just did not it did not perform down the stretch, even through the SEC tournament. Um and in a couple games on the stretch, they started to look a little shaky. There was a little concern, um, but I, even I thought they were coming, kind of get it back on the rails. Um, but no, Miami rolled, and Jared uh, and Jim Laranega is just—he's—he's he's a treat to watch in the locker room after the games. So love that. Purdue eighty-one seventy-one in just a solid, solid victory. Um, I was—I <laughs> was watching this game down the stretch, and then I was kind of looking at the path that they have to the Final Four in theory, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, St. Peter's next round, which obviously I'm all on the Peacock train, but still an inferior team. Still the inferior team, and eventually, right? That that kind of that luck, that 15 seed, you know, hype has it's got to kind of die out eventually. You think? Obviously, I'm gonna eat my words when they're in the Final Four here in two weeks. But <laughs> um, you know, point being, it's you kind of expect Purdue to to take care of business there, and then you're playing either you know a good, a very good UCLA team, and obviously a, a streaking North Carolina team. But again, both statistically inferior opponents that Purdue, I think, can take care of. And I was just, you know, I was telling the people around me and some good friends and uh, family members as well, like, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot if this Purdue team gets to the Final Four because I've been riding them all year and I got so scared by the defensive numbers. And if the bracket breaks this way to where Purdue can can win and, uh, and get into the Final Four and make, maybe make a splash towards the national title... Um, I would be nothing but happy. I'd be ecstatic for Matt Painter. I love Matt Painter. I love the Boilermakers. I love what they're doing. I love their program. Um, but I would shoot myself in the foot if I <laughs> did not trust my guts and stick with my guns. So anyways, I'll leave it at that. And Grandma, I'll let you wrap up with Arizona TCU, which was a phenomenal nightcap to the first weekend. Yeah, I was really surprised of how well TCU has played. Um, not, not a lot of bench help tonight, obviously. But, you know, all their main guys were... Just so locked in and electric, you know, style of play. Um, and, you know, round one, you know, demolishing Seton Hall. And then you come into, you know, this 33-3 and Arizona team, which is, you know, is a lot of, you know, people's championship Final Four team. And really just, like, make them have to work for a lot of their points. Um, and then going into OT, I was a little bit frustrated by how that game ended. Um based on, you know, like either no call or, I mean, as we talked about, we talked a little bit about this earlier before the podcast, that it should have been either backcourt or foul. I completely agree. And, and we'll get to the officiating. That'll be the next segment that we get to. You got to blow the whistle there. Like, it's unbelievable. You got to blow the whistle there. Um, I Personally, I'm glad. I'm actually, to some extent, I'm glad that it didn't. I'm glad we got to go to overtime, I guess mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Like, I'm glad that that was not... That it didn't end on a whistle there, which would have like would have been the right call. It would have stunk, but it would have been the right call. Um, or like if he would have gotten that dunk, that late dunk off there at the end, um, 
I would have hated that too. So again, point being, um, glad to see that you know it did get to go to overtime. TCU, man, they were, I mean, Jamie Dixon, so good. And like, this goes back to our point that we've talked about multiple times with the Big 12 as a whole. Someone's got to finish last in that conference. And the fact that that Jamie Dixon coached TCU team finished so low in the Big 12 this year is unbelievable to me. I mean, they were so, so good. They really went, um, you know, punch for punch with um, with Arizona. And, and that game also produced the, the dunk of the tournament. Um which was just so phenomenal. Um, and so, yeah, anyways, it was, it was a great game. It was one of the loudest arenas I've heard all weekend. I don't know if that's just because I was, like, completely dialed in and listening to the volume mm-hmm. on a really high level, but it sounded like it was, like, really, really bumping. Yeah. So, again, point being, it was just – it was fun to watch. Um, and great to see that one uh, go to the, to the end that it did. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, this, this Arizona team is legit, and I, I think they could – Really make a splash here. A tough game though against uh, against a, a hot a hot Houston team right now. That's that's looking to kind of prove themselves. So, anyways, all right, we'll leave it at that. That'll wrap uh, the weekend recap, and then we will quickly dive into. Um, we're gonna go. We're gonna look at the bracket right now, um, and and from here with the Sweet Sixteen, we'll run through the uh, really quickly. We'll run through um, the bracket as is, and then we will. Uh, We'll pick our final four from here. So, top left, the West Quadrant. Um, Completely chalk, by the way. I know. As I was just about to say, shockingly chalk. Um, Gonzaga, Arkansas, Texas Tech, Duke. Um, top right, the South Bracket going to San Antonio. Oh, sorry. Top left is going to San Francisco. Top right is going to the other San, San Antonio. 1-5, Arizona, Houston. And 11-2, Michigan, Villanova. Bottom right, Midwest going to Chicago. Kansas, Providence, 1-4. Iowa State, Miami, 11-10. <laughs> Uh, two double-digit seeds facing off in the Midwest. Um, I saw this meme earlier. I don't know if you saw this. We've got the Cyclones meeting the Hurricanes in the Windy City. <laughs> I mean, come on. You can't get enough of this wind. stuff. I, I love wind. I mean, it's the wind matchup. Um, it's going to be great. So I'm, I'm excited for that one. And then bottom left quadrant, the East going to Philadelphia. North Carolina, uh, the eighth seed against number four, UCLA. Number three, Purdue against... The Peacocks of St. Peter's. So, uh, Graham, why don't you go ahead and give us your West, South, East, and Midwest representatives for the Final Four? Uh, in the West, I'm going to stay true to uh, my prediction with uh, Gonzaga. Um, I love that they've been able you know, put these spurts together, and I think that they're talented and disciplined enough that when they aren't locked in, they're still very hard to beat. Um, I'm going to stay true to that with, uh, when they have to play Arkansas. I don't think Arkansas will be able to keep up with them. And I think the winner of Texas Tech and Duke could easily give Gonzaga a fight or move on. Uh, but I just don't see Arkansas as being uh, one of those teams to move on. But I could see Gonzaga um, escaping and moving on to the Final Four for the second year in a row. In the East, I'm going to stay with my original prediction. I think that UCLA has a tougher matchup than Purdue does. Um, with this hot North Carolina team. But I think that UCLA matches up uh, well with them. I think that UCLA has better scoring options. I think McCrone is going to find a way, you know, get this team back to the Elite Eight, where I think that they're going to have to play Purdue. Um, well, <laughs> I I don't – I hate to say it because, you know, St. Peter's has done so well. Um, St. Peter's is going to have trouble having a game plan for two bigs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, with their their size and the stature, and you know, uh, what they have to play in on a night to night basis, it's going to be very hard for them to keep up with Edie and Williams. But I mean, as they've proved, if there's a team to shut down a big man or at least contain him, I mean, it could be these peacocks right here. Um, so I'm, but at the end of the day, I think it's going to be UCLA getting to the final four. Um, but I think the North Carolina or UCLA winner will move on um, past either Purdue or St. Peter's. And the South, um, I originally had Tennessee coming out of this region, um, but that is no longer the case. Um, I think that Arizona and Villanova will be a nice chalk, um, you know, Elite Eight matchup with either team coming out of it, and I could totally see it. Um, I love the way that, you know, Arizona's, you know, been dominating this season. But I just 
think that you know this tournament Villanova team is very good. Yeah. I mean, while Villanova has had great teams, I feel like this is the most like cookie cutter like standard great team. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, you have your floor general, you have a big post, you have shooters, you have a second scoring option. I think that Villanova, uh, while it wasn't my original pick, will get out of the South um, region into the Final Four. And then in the Midwest, uh, I am going to have to say that uh, Miami and Kansas are going to meet each other, and I'm going to have Kansas moving on. Um, So that would leave me with Gonzaga, UCLA playing each other, and Villanova and Kansas playing each other. Which every Jayhawk fan in the world hates to hear you say that, by the way. Villanova has caused so many issues for the Jayhawks in, in tournament games. But All right, well, love to hear um, the predictions there from our expert bracket analysis um, from Graham Griffith, Graham Griffith, of course. Um, I'll go ahead and weigh in on mine. I, this, for the most part, I mean, two of my Final Four teams are out, Illinois and Kentucky, so forget those two corners. The other two corners, I'm going to stick with my guns. Um, Top left in the West, San Francisco. I like Texas Tech coming out of there. Um, I think think they will fairly well handle Duke. Um, And I think that defense is just going to be too much for Gonzaga. I do agree. They've had some really really great spurts as of recent um, and good signs there from Gonzaga. But I just think their defense is so, so solid. Um, Top right or bottom right of the bracket, I'm going to stick with Kansas again. Um, Again, I think it's a very, very tough um, you know, outcome for them. Providence is going to be a really, really tough matchup uh, this Friday night. And then Iowa State, Miami. Who knows what you're going to get out of them? I mean, Iowa State. You've played them twice this year. You've beat them twice this year. Um, but both of them were, you know, not the easiest games by any means. Obviously, no game in the Big Twelve is easy. Um, but definitely some tough matchups there. And then Miami gets to play former guard Charlie Moore in a really well coached Miami team. So again, I think either way, um, we'll see if the windier mascot wins. Uh, in coming out of the Chicago region, but I wouldn't be surprised if Kansas does take care of business. Now the other two corners, the opposite two corners that I that both my teams are eliminated from. Um, I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna get back on the train. I'm gonna boiler up uh, coming out of the East. Purdue. Um, I'd love to see it again. I, that's probably a little bit more of an emotional pick. Um, I do think it'll be Purdue and UCLA, um, and I I, I think. I truthfully think that Jaden Ivey and those two bigs are just going to be too much for UCLA to handle. I do think this UCLA team is very well balanced, and I would not be shocked at all to see them in the Final Four. Um, but I do think that uh, that this Purdue team can... If it's going to happen, it's going to be this year for Matt Painter. Um, and we've been saying that all year, that if this is going to be if there's going to be a team, it's going to be this team. Um, and I think that, that, they've, that the bracket has broken well in their favor. So good to see Purdue... Um, getting after that opportunity and looking forward to seeing what they uh, bring coming into the second weekend. And then in the top right sector, south, the San Antonio uh, region, I'm going to be completely honest, I have no idea. Like, I don't love this Arizona team. I don't think they're consistent enough. I think they're super cocky. I think they don't have enough experience on the floor to handle late game situations super well. Who knows where you're going to get out of this Michigan team at this point. Wouldn't be shocked to see them in the final four. Um, but I agree with you. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna completely ride um, your pick here, um, Villanova. I mean, they're just a cookie cutter Villanova, well coached Jay Wright team that I think is gonna take care of business and get out of that South region. So that'll leave me with Villanova and Kansas on one side of the bracket, Texas Tech and Purdue on the other. Um, and I think we we'd have a great Final Four out of that. Um, so definitely looking forward to seeing what this weekend brings and what the weekend after brings. Of course, with the Final Four, we will keep you completely updated here on the Norwood Noise Podcast. Um, podcasting every week, recapping the events as usual. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to it, obviously. I think while the first weekend is so much fun, obviously so many games, upset central, blah, 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 all that. I really appreciate the second weekend, um, even more than the Final Four, because I think the Final Four you know, is what it is. It's a corporate event. There's you know, the student sections on other ends, but other than that, mostly the lower bowl is entirely like corporations and businesses and things like that. Um, and it's always in a huge football stadium that's never, you know, it's just, it's an interesting atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I love the second weekend because they're still in, they're still in basketball arenas that are packed to the brim, usually with local people because a lot of people travel for this. Mm-hmm. I, I love the second weekend. You usually get some phenomenal games. Um, and, and I just love, I, I love what they bring. I think they're so, so much fun to watch. So 
Um, can't wait to see the second weekend. I think there's some really, really good matchups on tap. So we hope you all enjoy, of course, and we can't wait to get back talking to you next week. But first, before we get out of here, we got to wrap up with the Musketeer Minute. And I think there's two really big things to hit on here, Graham, and I'll let you kind of take away with your takes. But obviously, Xavier, trip to Madison Square Garden on the line. Trip to go back to New York City and right some wrongs and, and correct some things that have been, you know, some, some disappointing history, at least for the Musketeers and MSG. So I'll be excited to see what they can do. Tomorrow night against Vanderbilt, 9 p.m. on ESPN. Tune in, um, and it'll be and it'll be the morning of for when this podcast gets uploaded. But point being, it's going to be a, a good matchup against Vanderbilt. Um, looking forward to seeing what the Musketeers bring in the second game under Jonas Hayes. He had a great. Uh, it was cool to see. He was out there for warmups. He was, you know, all hanging out with the players, enjoying having a good time. The vibes vibes were good. Um, on uh, on Sunday against Florida. So I'll be excited to see what they bring against the Vanderbilt tomorrow night. And then again, of course, um, a trip to Madison Square Garden in the Final Four of the NIT on the line. And then obviously the biggest news probably coming out of the weekend, the rehiring of Sean Miller, um, former Arizona coach, um, still under some uh, IARP and NCAA uh, trouble, but we'll have to see kind of what punishment he does end up serving here at Xavier. Um, but he'll return next year. He uh, has been signed on to a coaching deal and will be, I mean, I'm excited. It's it's officially Miller time. Um, so good to see. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be interested to see what he brings to the program and uh, what kind of new life he breathes into it. So, Graham, I'll let you take it away from, from this point on, uh, on um, whatever you'd like to comment on, on on either of those points. I really liked, you know, the change of pace and energy that Coach Hayes has been able to bring. Um it really provides, you know, a different type of connection to the players. Um, and I feel like through him and just from the own leadership that, you know, the guys have been able to, you know, play with a different level um, of energy. That's been a breath of fresh air for Xavier fans. Um, you know, Tuesday, uh, they you know, have a tough game against Vanderbilt. I think Vanderbilt is a perfect NIT team. They're not really <laughs> the most, like... Um, you know, decorated resume that you know that gets you into the NCAA tournament, but they're a great team that you don't really want to play in night in and night out. Um, Scotty Pippen Jr. is one of the most prolific scorers um, in the nation right now, um, and you know Jerry Stackhouse has done an unbelievable job at Vanderbilt. I think that he's a fantastic coach, um, very dynamic offense. You know, but this will match up well against them. I'm very looking forward to it, especially because. Um, if you win, we're headed to Madison Square Garden and we get in this season on a positive note, um, you know, with so much uncertainty about what the summer brings with the coaching change. Um, it would be pretty cool to go out as champions and have some positive energy and momentum in, in Cincinnati before, um, you know, new guys come in, new guys come out, new coaches come in, old coaches come out, whatever, whatever our future holds, um, it would just be really cool, um. To, you know, end the season as a champion, go out on some positive energy. To talk about Coach Miller, he's a proven winner, leader, um, and he loves Xavier. I, it, I don't know. Obviously, they're not going to release it. Um, you know what, what the money situation was, but I am. I'd be very surprised if um, you know South Carolina didn't offer him more money. You know, being a state school that's trying to save their program and stuff. And when you have Sean Miller available, I'm sure that they're willing to overpay for him. Um, I think that he's a great coach, and I think it's going to work out in the coming years. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, when you hire a new head coach about what's going to happen. Um, but I know that in a few years' time, this is going to be a very good move for our program. He's an unbelievable coach, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this team looks next season. Um, but for now... You control what you could control, and we had a game on Tuesday, um, and we'll move on from there. Yeah, I completely agree, and I, I couldn't agree more. I think Sean Miller is one of the few coaches that Xavier could go and get that would have, I would say, an, an immediate impact on the program. Um, so, again, we both agree there. Looking forward to seeing what he brings to the program and uh, what, the fresh face, what the fresh face brings to the Xavier program as a whole. All righty, that'll wrap it here for Monday, March 21st. Um, this episode of the Norwood Noise Podcast. The first week in recap of the NCAA tournament, Sean Miller's new hiring, um, and obviously some questionable officiating throughout the NCAA tournament. But point being, we move forward. We look forward to some great quality matchups this weekend. Hopefully an MSG trip 
for the NIT Xavier Musketeers. And again, um, yeah, looking forward to, you know, obviously the continuation of the most wonderful time of the year. So, Graham, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you all for listening. And this has been the Norwood Noise right at an hour right about now. We'll see you later.